You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. This week we are starting a brand new show after our two weeks off from uh, regular episodes. We are going to be talking about Utopia. The first two episodes on Amazon Prime, they dropped the whole season last weekend, but we're going to only talk about the first two episodes. But before that, as always, we're going to get into our week's watch. So, Elizabeth, what did you watch this week? So this week, uh, Mitch actually didn't have to try too hard to talk me into watching Enola Holmes Mm. on uh, Netflix. New movie, uh, excellent movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was really excited. Um, For people who might not know the story of Enola Holmes, Enola Holmes is the supposed younger sister of Sherlock Holmes, and she's played by Millie Bob Brown, Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown. Mm-hmm. I know actors, actresses' mm-hmm. names. Sure, thing. Millie Robert Brown. Yes. Uh, <laughs> who also produced the film. Uh, but the concept of the movie is her mother disappears on her 16th birthday, and she has to basically try and track down her mom and then gets caught up in a side quest, like most homes do. <laughs> um, so no, it was a very cute movie, very well done. The acting was phenomenal. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Did anybody else get a chance to check out Enola Holmes? Oh, is this a new Henry Cavill movie? Henry Cavill is in the movie. I would say it's the new Millie Bobby Brown movie, though. (laughs) Yeah. A few few articles were like, Henry Cavill's new Sherlock Holmes movie. (laughs) It's like, uh, no. That's how that goes. Yeah. uh, I I was super curious about this one. Um, I believe also... I don't know if this is a spoiler. I, I won't mention anything. There's an actor who was also one of the main characters in another Amazon series we watched, uh, Carnival Row, who was in this. Uh, I don't want to say any names in there, but uh, it was a uh, Breakspear in um, Carnival Row, the politician guy. Oh. And they said that he was very good in this. We're just going to have to give the name. <laughs> Uh, so I believe he plays Moriarty. Wait, Moriarty was in the movie? <laughs> Moriarty wasn't in the movie. I, I'll have to look it up then. Yeah, because I, I remember them saying that whatever character he played in this, he did fantastically. Okay. Breakspear in 
Enola Holmes, no, in Carnival Row was uh-huh. Moriarty in Enola Holmes. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. Uh, I would say the reason why those articles say a Henry Cavill Sherlock Holmes is because he is probably the biggest star in the movie. Uh, being in that he's been in a lot of blockbusters and is already a net, uh, Netflix person, but uh, it is definitely Millie Bobby Brown's movie. Yeah. Mm. So, um, there is definitely, I would say, issues with either the editing or the writing uh, in the movie uh, because there are a lot of connections that I don't see that were made in the movie that don't add up in the end, but. That was just me. Obviously, it is a young adult book series. So uh, if anybody has had a chance to read those, I'd love to hear about that. It's based on a series? It is. Huh. I didn't know that part. I am really hoping for that reason that we'll get a second movie. I think so. With all the positive reviews and everything that they've had off of this, I'm sure they'll do something more with it. Cool. Uh, that, is, <laughs> that is on Netflix. So. I'm trying to figure out this Moriarty because there yeah, was apparently- Moriarty. So <laughs> I, I'm looking at his IMDb and it's not listed or anything. I don't know if someone took a real leap in logic in something, posted an article and took it down because I can't even find the article. Okay. I was like, I was like, wait, no, Moriarty <laughs> was not in this movie. Uh, that I'm certain of. Yeah. Pretty sure oh, that actor. No, the guy who played Breakspear in Carnival Row was already Moriarty in the sh- the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Sherlock Holmes movie. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, maybe yeah, someone was just drawing parallels in a, t- in a title for an article. Yeah, okay. that was Paris. Okay. <laughs> like wait. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your, da- your weekly dose of confusion brought to you by Stephen Thanks. Clark. <laughs> Thanks for coming on that journey with us. <laughs> it was an excellent movie. It's on Netflix. I highly recommend it. It's a great family movie watch. Very different from the show that we're going to be talking about later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, uh, what did you watch this week? Uh, I, I guess I'll mention two things here. First, I got I to gotta come correct, I guess, here and say that uh, Raised by Wolves has been good throughout for this whole season. <laughs> I I still think that some caution on anything that uh, Ridley Scott is doing is warranted, but whatever forces behind this made this good, <laughs> they're doing the damn thing, and it's been very good. Uh, this this next week, I believe, are the last two episodes of this first season. They've been putting them out two episodes uh, each week, and I've been very much enjoying that format for this. <laughs> So that's been cool. Uh, and then the other thing that is the, the biggest thing that's the newest one in my life was reading the first issue of a brand new comic series called We Only Find Them When They're Dead. Uh, it's really freaking good. It, it's 20 pages, which is not enough for this really interesting world they set up in there. The art is beautiful. It looks like it's some like a high-budget animated thing like a 2d animated one um they put in like depth of field uh motion blur so many different things on the art that makes it just feel so cinematic and more colorful and picturesque even then a lot of comics that are really well rendered and then the story they go with for it it starts off in this very like 
very small example of a character when they're younger uh, in this world that's uh, like exploring space. Humans are out there, but we've stopped mining asteroids, not because we wanted to, but because we pretty much tapped them all. And so humanity was at this crux where they didn't really have any new resources to pull in. We'd like, we'd, we'd used them all up basically. And then a new resource presents itself. And it's nothing that I could have ever predicted. And if someone had tried to just tell me the story of this thing, I don't know if I would have thought it would be successful or interesting to follow. But they've done a very good job. And having to wait the, about a month that, I'm, that I've had to since picking up the first issue, even though I didn't read it for a couple weeks, sucks. <laughs> I want it all. So... It's very good. I highly recommend it. Uh, again, the name of that one was uh, We Only Find Them When They're Dead. It's from Boom Studios, I believe, is the publisher for that one. It's very good. And is it looking to be a, a limited series or an ongoing series? I don't think it'll be something that they continue for a long time. They definitely have a plan. Very cool. Uh, Raised by Wolves is on HBO Max. And mm-hmm. like you said, Boom Studios for... We only find them when they're dead. Yeah. Jessica, what did you watch this week? Uh, I've watched quite a few things lately, so but I'll just talk about two of them, I guess. Um, I don't know why, but I decided to watch that documentary that John had watched a while ago, Behind the Curve. With, yeah, the, the Flat Earthers documentary and... I actually quite enjoyed how it was filmed and I even kind of liked how it showcased flat earthers and just it's like everything wrong with research and everything wrong with how studies go nowadays and how you can manipulate studies to prove your hypothesis whether or not it's right or wrong it's just showcased so well in this documentary that it was it it just made me happy there's like this part at the end where they're doing an experiment to try to prove that the earth is flat and all they're doing with the experiment is proving that it has a curve. (laughs) It's just great. You're a better person than me. My my friends and I used to play a game called you raise, you lose with movies and you would start watching it. And the first person to say, I can't do this anymore. loses. This would have been one where I could have made it maybe six minutes in and I would have tapped out. Wow. I have no tolerance for flat earthers. It's not like it's not a documentary that's like trying to make you believe flat earthers. It's a documentary mm-hmm. that's about flat earthers. Like it's definitely very skeptical. And it has other scientists on it that are like debunking everything they're saying during it too. So it's I don't want to say it's a flat earther documentary in the fact that it's flat earth mm-hmm. trying to be like, look, the earth is flat. No, it's it's very much a this is a thing that's happening and we don't know why. So here's what's happening kind of documentary yeah. and who's the people that are involved. And it's just like the most interesting thing to me about it was like the main flat earther guy on this documentary, which I can't even remember his name. because I watched it like over a week ago, but he was just such kind of sort of a, uh, almost like a Donald Trump character where he like clearly didn't fully believe that the earth was flat but somehow he became an icon of it and so he like is pretending really well like he's almost like a messiah type it's weird 
It's, yeah, he sells shirts that say I am like Michael Sievert or something like that. Like yeah. whatever his name is. But that you still kind of get this fakeness from him that he really doesn't believe it, but he's like high off of being popular and just like living the life of this crazy thing. It's it's such a weird egotistical well, I guess it's not weird, it makes sense. Like it's it's, <laughs> like, it's such an egotistical to see it like in something so crazy of flat earth that you can still get those people that just sort of manipulate the situation. Yeah. I, I mean, I could be wrong. I'd hate for that guy to be listening to this and be like, no, I'm a legit flat earther. But like, I just, I don't think you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. If, if you guys are reach out to me, let's talk. I know. I did empathize with one lady who was a flat earther because she just seemed to get crapped on the most just because she was a pretty woman. Like, I was like, ugh. Like, even in these smaller little weird sciencey groups, you still get that crap. And you're just like, really? You just mm-hmm. Science being a loose term, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> these pseudoscience groups. I mean, technically, they are saying they're doing science. They are doing experience and, and, and experiments. And it's like, like, it's just... A lot of things in science are still considered theory mm. because you can't ever fully prove anything with 100% confidence. So it's like an interesting, like flat earth is definitely a way out there to trying to prove. But at the same time, there are other things that have been through history that were just as crazy. I mean, it was crazy when we first thought the earth was round and that, we were orbiting the sun and not the sun orbiting us. Like it's just mm-hmm. science has that crazy history and those crazy things eventually like branch off and we find more evidence, but still most of science, most of our physics, especially is theory. So yeah, now yeah. Th- this, this one, it, it's an interesting one to see people it, have risen again because yeah. I mean, so, so many basic plans, like so many things that we deal with on a daily basis are like at their 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 core element disproving uh, mm-hmm. the idea of a flat earth yeah. but what you gonna do and there's a lot they do have like a, a psychiatrist on there explaining the things like why people can feel this way why they can feel so strongly even with all the evidence not backing them and stuff so it's it's a really good documentary like no matter your opinion on flat earthers, if they really drive you nuts, don't watch it. <laughs> if if you're just interested in like how people work or like how these people can exist, like definitely watch it. It's 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 very interesting. I I quite enjoyed the documentary. And that's um, on Netflix, right? That is yeah, that is on Netflix. And the other thing I've watched is I have pretty much binge watched the first two seasons of the new DuckTales with Ooh. David Tennant. Yeah, I I'm really sad that season three is not up on Disney Plus. <laughs> I'm <laughs> very upset because I'm quite enjoying it. It's really good. It's mm-hmm. so much better than the original from the 80s. I mean the original from the 80s was great when it was out. But like this is just the voices are great. Just the, the plots are great. The, the changes in characters are great. It's just, it's <laughs> funny. And it does a lot. It does a ton of throwbacks to other things that were going on, like a ton of nostalgic throwbacks. Like they even have a time in which two of the characters are singing a song that was on the DuckTales video game. 
from nice. like yeah so nice. it's, it's it's a lot of cute little things like that and david Tennant actually using his scottish voice i'm always gonna remember, so. <laughs> the whole cat the whole cast for that one it's bobby moynihan uh danny pudi um yeah. what's his name john ralphio his name i forget <laughs> but yeah it's, it's it's good it's it's good the villains are great too i think my favorite villain might be the one that's quite clearly supposed to be like mark zuckerberg or like yeah that guy is it's hilarious so that's i assume that's disney plus yes and that is on disney plus it also i believe season three is on disney channel right now either disney channel or disney xd i can't remember which one it actually comes up now but from what i'm understanding season three episodes are either fairly recent on disney or they're coming out right now i'm not i'm not for sure all I know is apparently Daisy makes an appearance in season three and I cannot freaking wait. It's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steven knows. Are you watching I watch a lot of cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. John, what did you watch this week? <laughs> I kept it light because uh, I've been busy for some weird reason. Um, so I only really kind of watched besides the the show we're watching here is uh the boys and lovecraft country i'm still keeping those going and uh i know that we'll probably get to actually fully discussing lovecraft country at some point in the future uh and you already discussed the boys with uh, daniel on one of the other podcasts so i'll keep it light and brief on those uh but i just wanted to say that just when I think my old jaded self can't be surprised by things anymore, shows like these come out and just do some crazy off-the-wall, out-of-left-field things that just make me go, wow, there's still some room for surprise left. <laughs> um, I mean, the boys just ups the ante, and I love where the story's going. Uh, and Lovecraft Country, specifically this last episode, and to a point that Stephen made several episodes back where he mentioned that there was a possible reference to real life uh, person Emmett Till in the, I think it was the haunted house episode. I totally think that that was him now because in the most recent episode, there is a reference to a real life woman. Also, um, I think her name was Bessie Springfield. I think that was and she was, she was the first uh, African-American woman to like ever motorcycle across the USA. Um, I think she was a motorcycle uh, operator during World War II. Mm-hmm. And she is like full front and center in one scene in this show, in this, in this latest episode, which was an amazing episode. Because they took one of the side characters and she goes through like a Doctor Strange level like journey of self-discovery. Which I was not expecting. I mean, I thought something like that would happen to the main character. But there's something to be said. And I don't know if I'm the right person to say it. Because I feel like I get it. But I'm, it, it's not quite directed at me, per se, as the intended audience, I think. But there is something they're doing here with representation that I think is important. Oh, definitely. If you're seeing what they're doing... It's like, whoa, like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this being done before with these kinds of characters uh, going through what they're going through and displaying them as being highly competent, intelligent, 
like almost genius level in some degrees, like figuring shit out in a really interesting way. I was kind of blown away by it. Like not just by what actually happens in the show story wise, because like just to keep it short, there's one of the characters gets sucked into like a portal and then they up going through like different periods of time. Um, and it's very self-guided by this sense of self-actualization. And just the whole time I was like, oh no, this this show is like it's not just entertainment. This show is saying things. Mm-hmm. And I was totally just taken aback by it and really just enjoyed this show and this incredible Amazonian cyborg African lady was just something else. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It was just amazing. For the the real world figures they had in there, they had um, the one that you mentioned, and then they also had that whole segment where um, Hippolyta she was hanging out with Josephine Baker. Yes, in there, and and also a brief cameo by Frida Kahlo in there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no it's good. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, and I mean this this actress, uh, like I said, she's not one of the main participants. But she really just bears it all, like in many senses of the word. Um, and it was fascinating. Like she was just, I guess the trope strong, independent woman could could be applied here. Uh, she already was one, but like it goes a step further than that. And I'm not even sure, like I said, like I feel like the most inappropriate person to try to gush over it because I feel like, this actually means so much more to other people. And yet I'm still like, wow, that was amazingly cool. Like this just whole episode was incredible. Absolutely. I agree entirely. And well said on that one too. And that was basically my Wii Watch. Very cool. Nice. So uh, Lovecraft Country is on HBO and The Boys is on Amazon Prime. Uh, I caught up finally on the 10th season of Shameless. Um, this is a show that I really shouldn't like. It is a bunch of despicable <laughs> characters, but uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy every bit of it. I enjoy every one of the characters. They, uh, except for yeah, William H Macy's character is very comical, but he is probably the worst out of all of them. This is the first season without Emmy Rossum as the the, the lead. Um, so they have moved on to the other siblings as being the more the head of the family. Um, uh, it's not Ian Gallagher. The character is Ian Gallagher. The actor is Dominic Monaghan. Uh, I think it's, no, not Dominic Monaghan, Cameron Monaghan as the, uh, the, one of the older brothers. And uh, it's just a show that I really enjoy. I'm glad that every time I get to watch it, the season ebbs and flows but it always ends up in a good place but then you want to know how it is they're going to screw it up by the time they get to the next season so <laughs> that is a showtime show but i watched it on netflix nice. so for the week's watch is over let's go ahead and get into utopia on amazon prime and like you said a nice family-friendly light watch <laughs> um, just like make, make a bag of popcorn sit down have a good time you know mm-hmm. oh. Such just turn your brain off let it wash over you yeah no 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 deeper implications to anything here um i want to ask the, the two people who i do a book podcast with <laughs> you guys you guys had thought that the book that we were going to podcast about before um 
that was uh, the down days was like, oh, yeah. well, maybe we won't talk about like it might be a little too heavy, maybe <laughs> maybe not, um, based in like pandemic kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, how does yeah. that seem from from this side of the fence? Can, can we go back to down days? <laughs> I will happily uh, spoilers for anybody who hasn't read the book or hasn't listened to our podcast, but um, I will take ghosts over using a spoon to dig out an eyeball. Hey, what I mean, what else would they have used? A melon baller? Or it's, it's almost the best tool. Maybe not anything. Maybe you don't need to take people's eyeballs out. <laughs> Maybe that's not a requirement. <laughs> no, I I was super interested in this show from from the jump of the first episode. I was like you know, there's actually something really interesting here. This this seems cool. I like some of these characters, dislike others, but I don't know. I found myself in the second episode, like it's like, ugh. I'm glad that wasn't a whole week of a show for me. Yeah, because maybe the next two will bring me right back. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't imagine the show being that heavy throughout the whole thing, but at this point, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, and we. Mitch and I watched the first episode Monday night and like I got through that episode and I was like, okay, like they're just, it's the shock value. Like it's, it's got to get like somewhat calmer from here for at least a couple episodes. Cause you got to have some buildup and some background and, and then we'll, then I'll just have to stomach through a few more. And then we just watched the second episode before coming to film and nope, apparently downtime to give me a breather is not an option for this show. Yeah. Question for the two of you who are watching The Boys. How does this compare to that as far as like just being steeped in crazy stuff? I mean, it's it's a completely different animal. Like both yeah. have very intense scenes, um, but the other show, The Boys, is is definitely cut with comedy. Like it's... Mm. it's it, there's a lot more comic relief in there to uh, help you take it down. Whereas this, the comic relief is if it's there, it's very dry and does not help you take in the intense scenes of brutality. Mm-hmm. So, but so we open with, uh, two side characters that are literally only there for a solid, 10 minutes of the whole show cleaning out grandpa's house who was a hoarder mm-hmm. and finding utopia which, which we, is the um, sequel to dystopia which was a comic book that apparently was filled with true viruses it predicted real viruses around the world and bad events which yeah I, I, I don't know about reading those pages in the way that they did. The one instance of it that they showed us was like, this was shaped perfectly like, uh, I, I forget what Uganda. the country was. Uganda, yeah. Uganda. I, this is shaped perfectly like Uganda. This many infected, this the, like this many died. I don't, that's some like augury level kind of reading the, the images and the signs. I would not have gotten there. The one message where I was like, okay, that's nice, clear, and concise was the one in the second episode where it's literally just written as words. I appreciate yeah. that kind of clarity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The things written as words, the T-shaped rash, 
like uh-huh. <laughs> things that seem a little bit more blatant. But I mean, if you are looking for things, it's easy to find symbols in things, yeah. um, no matter what. The part I struggled with with the first episode in terms of storyline, don't get me wrong, I struggled with plenty of the actual episode, but with storyline, is Samantha's um, utter disregard for the discussion about the mythology. Yeah. Because Mm. to me, if you're going to presume that the comic book has predicted future events, that must, by its very nature, mean that the artist is utilizing some nugget of truth. There is some some piece of truth in there. So with that being said, people tend to pull from the sources that they know. Why wouldn't those characters likely represent somebody else? Maybe they aren't those people. You know, I, I don't expect anybody to think that, you know, the comic book is real. But it would re- they would rep- they would be representative of other people or other types of people, and therefore the mythology would help you discover who the artist potentially is, what they're how they're getting their information, any of those things. Mm-hmm. And so I just found it very odd that she completely dismissed them. Although her rampage was highly interesting to me, but. I just didn't quite understand from her perspective as a character why she would dismiss the mythology discussion entirely. I felt like that was supposed to be just kind of like a thumbing your nose at anyone who was just there for comic book stuff. Which isn't bad. It's not bad. Like, even if you just took it at that kind of face value thing. Like, go ahead. Sass them up. (laughs) Yeah. But... Uh, for, For you guys, like... um. For Mitch and John, how did you guys feel coming out of these two episodes? Go ahead, John. Um, I thought it was great, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> this seems like the perfect fodder for a mind like my own. Um, I did receive a trigger warning uh, before I started watching. Uh, I was like, hey, there's some like pretty heavy conspiracy themes in this. And I was like, okay. So I checked it out, and um, I thought it was great in that the conspiracy, it seems to very much be real. So it's not even a conspiracy theory so much as it's they're trying to figure out what's going on using the clues. I feel like if it was more vague, like if it wasn't really something and they're just looking at stuff that's coincidental, then that would have made it really weird. Because then there's all this other really weird shit and these crazy hitmen going around. Um, I don't know if it was too obvious or maybe not obvious enough that there's definitely a lot of Alice in Wonderland stuff going on here. Mm. Literally, the first time when I saw them painting the grass, I was like, "They're painting the roses red." Like I just yeah, <laughs> painting the grass. The green. Rabbit and just everything about it, I was like, "Oh, this is all." Yeah, you had the guy. <laughs> The first time the guy on the side of the road, one of the hint of the hitmen, was like, "You're late," and yeah. the guy that's driving the yeah. car is wearing a funny hat. I was like, "Okay, yeah, that's what they're doing here." I was like, <laughs> "Oh, well, there's your rabbit character." Like, I just... yeah. So I, was like, <laughs> I don't know okay, what annoys so... me that it's always freaking. If it's any conspiracy theory show, it's always referencing Alice in Wonderland. Just always, just <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. It's a common one. 
Well, yeah, like the Matrix definitely had that. The Resident Evil, the first movie anyway, was really trying to do an Alice in Wonderland thing. Yeah. Um, it's uh, but I thought it was interesting in that obviously the show is is a it's a remake of a British show from I think twenty fourteen. Twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Twenty thirteen. Okay. So yeah, so it, it's something that's being readapted, and of course, in the meantime, it definitely looks like they've updated a few things. But this must have been in production prior to. I want to believe this whole pandemic situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they did give us the the warning before the first episode. Yeah, that this is in no way related to actual events or something like that. Yeah, uh, which is exactly <laughs> that's exactly what they would tell you. If all this was real, <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed the the uh, the aspect here. Not so much the conspiracy stuff, but more like I want to believe that this is kind of taking place, like maybe five or six years in the future, where you would have due to like if you my, my favorite part of the show so far isn't even the conspiracy stuff or the the wanton disregard for human life and how easily they'll dispatch people, even main. Who, what you think are main characters. Um, it's all the little background details that they have in like the world. The world building, I think, is really cool here. Because you'll have... like a, My favorite scene so far was in episode two. Rain Wilson is like... He's this kind of washed out scientist. He keeps requisitioning funds for some project or some experiment. He keeps getting denied. And he's just like in this lonely little like lab that looks like the size of a closet in some kind of research area. And in the background, you're just listening to the TV and it's talking about how uh, due to recent droughts and you know lack of precipitation in the Midwest, you know, the, the crop yields are going to be reduced. So, you know, no more fruits of this variety are going to be available. And who knows when, you know, whatever, like all these little details of like what I think are really happening now, like with declines of bee populations, and with uh, global warming, with the rising sea levels due to glacial melting, I'm like, it's not even a conspiracy anymore. Like stuff like that is happening. So I'm like, I mean, like, yeah, maybe there's uh, some kind of company that's doing warfare for some thing of. I think they're, what they're trying to hint at is they're, tr- they're trying to reduce the population of the world because the John Cusack scenes were very creepy. <laughs> I would agree. I was wondering about John Cusack's motivations in general. Yeah. Uh, the twist on the family grace before dinner scene definitely was jarring for me. It was, I both like and dislike that idea. I mean, you'll grow up kind of weird if you have a parent like that that's like constantly making you question your contribution that- to society or your work. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that necessarily. Like that kind of bend to it. But the idea that you would ask, like, the the idea of like, what what did you do today that you're proud of? I think would be a good thing. You know, like that would be cool. Yeah. But I maybe not every like, day. <laughs> I can see how you could twist it to make it a more positive thing. But the way it's presented is very much like, so why shouldn't we kill you today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, to me, that was very much the feel of it was like, okay, why shouldn't I just, you know, eliminate you from the planet? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) 
that was kind of like, um, not how family dinners work at my uh, with my family. And Wait, you guys have family dinners even. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> but also, if you notice that it looks like most of these are not his children. Yeah, at least that's the impression yeah. I got. These are like adopted children yeah. or something. So he's he's some kind of philanthropist millionaire. I'm taking like some, I'm taking some like Bill Gates vibes here with him as far as like he's this multimillionaire that wants to save the world and his big contribution is this non-animal based meat product and that's likely killing people. <laughs> that yeah, that that sounds like it's actually being used as a vector for these viruses cuz everywhere they release this product that's where all these outbreaks start happening yeah and then when they back him into a logical corner he just gives up on the middle of an interview and like books it which he did he he did raise a good point he did but i don't know i i think he's supposed to be benevolent i think he's probably got some shitty turn to him but i i don't think it's something that he's setting out to do intentionally at least right now i could be wrong i don't trust john cusack i I definitely don't (laughs) think he intentionally is giving children a deadly flu. Like, and I, I I do think, A, before this would ever hit any public school, it would be highly tested. If, like, so, I mean, in real life, though, this is clearly not real life, but, um, <laughs> but, um, I don't know, I don't get that feeling from his character, but I do get that feeling that he does know he did something unethical within the mm-hmm. process. I don't think it's that, but I, I get the feeling he knows he did something in it. Either that or he's like, well, I mean, we're overcrowded anyway. Like, like, because <laughs> yeah, I, I could definitely see his character believing that he is doing greater good by killing off large portions of the population. Yeah, but I don't think he's intentionally setting out to kill children or in this manner. Because it's just way too obvious. I feel like he'd be smart enough to not like. Just... Now, there's something weird going on with his oldest son, right? Oh Definitely. yeah, the one that looks like Jared Kushner. <laughs> I'm glad you did it, and I didn't. I'm sure that's just coincidental. No, yeah. he, he's a, he's a weirdy pants. He's I, I feel like he, he knows something about what his dad's done, and is kind of holding it over his head in some way. Yeah. I, Mitch, do you, do you think with the fact that the show is was just two seasons of six episodes apiece, do you think they'll stretch it past that amount of material for Amazon? Uh, I'm sure they will because uh, this show was brought to America by uh, Jillian Flynn. She uh, mm-hmm. wrote Gone Girl and some, uh, I believe the, was it Stranger on a Train or something like that? But mm-hmm. I think That's that, different. oh, is it a different person? Okay. Uh, Objects, I think, was another oh, one that became an yeah, idea. That was another one I saw for her. Um, I think that uh, she knows that for the American audience, she's usually padded out. So I'm guessing that if it, it, they have it planned out for two seasons, but definitely the ability to go for three at the mm-hmm. at the least. Okay. Yeah, I just it, it was it's interesting to compare U.S. television versus British television for that stuff. Now, I will let you know that uh, upon doing some research for this show on Reddit, the uh, fans of the British show do not care for this one. (laughs) They are like, 
I mean, they are they are like I mean, it's it's a Furbin fan base apparently. Like these the people do not like the Americanized version for some reason. Um, I haven't quite figured out why exactly. All I see is people just trash talking it. Say, are they saying what's different about it? Because Mitch and I are actually having this conversation about whether or not the BBC version was quite this graphic with its violence. Mm. Um, I think they're considering it to be like more dumped down, if anything, uh-huh. for the American version. Like they think that the British one was more like Black Mirror esque, I think, and this is more like your typical kind of blockbuster disaster porn type uh, feel to it. It's, it's like essentially emphasis. I think the logic is that they're emphasizing on the wrong things of for the story in the Americanized version. I can oh. see that. Now it is very violent. I was not expecting it to be this uh, blunt with its violence. It was blunt. I didn't see like a single sharp thing get used besides the needle. <laughs> but I'm. <well. laughs> I, 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 the axe that she put in his head was pretty sharp. Oh, you know that's true. I take I take it back. I, I yeah. I, well, I didn't see that one. You didn't see the look away. I didn't see the eye. Bleach eyed. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> One eyed. I had or questions about. I, I don't. That, that man did not get bleach in his eyes. I just want to point that out. There's there's bleach all over his shirt, and it did not change colors. It was just wet. I was bad at it. <laughs> I I don't normally look at that kind of thing, but that the handwriting on the paper. Um, that was supposed to be people putting down their own information. Uh, then even in like the numbers columns, if people were supposed to have written their numbers down, it was just like one person who wrote all those numbers. Yeah. It they was, they it did was a cool. close up on it. Yeah. Like that was just lazy. That's just lazy. But I don't know. I feel like my, probably my biggest issue with it. And it's especially prominent in episode one. I'm a fairly paranoid person and like just how easy it was <laughs> For these people to just go, like, how easy it was for Grant to get into that penthouse. Like, I just, like, oh, my God. Like, this is, like, it's just, like, my worst nightmare. Just, like, just freaking, don't be dumb. Like, don't bid it online. Why are you bidding it in person? Like, just, what the, like, just, oh, yeah, I'll just, yeah, I'll let you just shoot this in me. I'm not going to fight at all, even though there's, like, five of us. I just, mm, I'm done. Like. It's, I hate it. I was like, is, um, like be- between the two characters of Grant and I forget what her name is, the one who's in the comic. Oh, Jessica. Oh. Jessica. Okay. Jessica Hyde. Yeah. Um, between the two of them, they're just, I guess the the kid from Terminator. They're John, John Connor. Connor. Between the two of them, basically. <laughs> you know what? I I think we're gonna see a turn here where the woman that's calling herself Jessica Hyde is not actually her. Like she, I'm thinking she probably thinks that it applies to her or that it's telling her the story and she's gravely mistaken that we're going to see that Jessica Hyde, the real Jessica Hyde is someone else. And she just Mm -hmm. happened to fall into like some kind of coincidental uh, rabbit hole as it were. Uh, uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like just just from this first episode and from the i mean from these first two uh the fact that they kill off who was quickly becoming my favorite character in such a brutal fashion 
like she put a lot of work into that goth look to just get yeah. off. I'm like, I was what a waste. Well, the- see, it- I I had real hard time with that one in particular because while I am used to the concept of cold hard calculations. Mm-hmm. Typically, those cold hard calculations are based off an assumption. Either you are the bad guy or they are based off the assumptions that you're doing it for the greater good. But the woman who is claiming to be Jessica Hyde doesn't care about the greater good. She cares about her own interests, but she's also supposed to be one of our good guys. And I have a hard time with that cold hard calculation for just my own good and still being a good guy. Her decision to, like, in that, I guess, quote-unquote calculated manner, kill that that character, it doesn't mesh with the idea that she didn't just immediately kill the other guy. Because if right. he's got that much doubt, he's clearly going to sell you to whatever a bad guy is later because he doesn't believe in this stuff. Yeah. Like, for some reason, she found Samantha more of a threat. And I was just like, I think Samantha was easier to be used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I felt like. I felt like she would be someone that you could let get killed down the line instead of you getting killed. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It, like it, just, it seemed like, like I, I understand using Samantha. To, I, I feel like like oh, there can only be two leaders and a or one leader kind of thing was just kind of just. Dumb. It was a cop out. Yeah, it was just a cop out. Like I feel like like if you really think that way, then you would find a way to use Samantha to further your game to make Samantha sort of like the martyr to be the one that goes in to face the danger or or something. I don't know. I feel like there's just better ways to use that type of character than the others. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Did anybody feel when yes. uh the Matt Hatter and the the White Rabbit went into the the bidding party and was holding everybody at gunpoint with those needles that it really was just going to knock them out? No. 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 <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, never... <laughs> I, I, I found that scene interesting because I feel like there's something much larger being displayed there, like a, from a human psychological uh, aspect, that when put into an insane situation... Even if you know the outcome, because I know I, I know that the man definitely knew that this was going to be like their death. Yeah. But they all just took it. They were like, well, what are you going to do? You know, I guess, you know, it's our time to die. They basically just rolled over and, and took yeah. it. See, like, and I felt- the one that made more sense to me was the one where they came in like they were from a gas leak because they were wearing yeah. uniforms. They looked official like that. You really wouldn't question right away. Like most people wouldn't question right away would because there's a split second of thinking. Yeah, which is all they needed was that split second of thinking. Really, you don't think anybody that comes into your house is going to kill you. I do, but like, <laughs> just, like but then here's my the other one. Like clearly, these people are messed up people. Like, clearly you're in a dangerous situation and everybody was just like, I can't fight this. Even though most of them were drunk off of vodka. So they, one of them at least, I think that was my problem. One of them should have done something. 
still all die, but one of them should have done something reckless in the moment, like try to grab the syringe and stab the guy or something. But none of them did. And I think that was my main problem with it. Scene. Like, it's just... <laughs> yeah. uh, does anybody have any theories as to what the, uh, the Mad Hatter meant when he was saying to uh, Wilson Wilson? I was like, oh, yeah, you think these canned peaches are going to save you from the end of the world? You don't even know what's coming? That kind of conversation. Any ideas what he could have been alluding to with this? Because so far, we just have it hinted that it could be um, this this uh, mutated version of the Spanish flu, I think they're saying, that they're describing it as, where it would be uh, a world killer. Would yeah. that be what we're looking at here? Is a planetary extinction level event of this disease or something far greater is still in, lurking in the background here? I think we're looking at something larger lurking in the background. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I feel like okay. it's something larger too, because all the news reports throughout the whole thing, even though this thing took a couple days, it still was only focused on the kids having the disease. It hadn't yet talked about if another person got the disease from the kids. Like if the parents got the disease or if teachers started getting the disease. It was really focused on the kids. So maybe in the next episode, it'll be like, now the parents are the kids or people are with them. So I really am curious if that one thing is just in the meat. That's not meat. Yeah. But also not plant. So like... Because it doesn't seem to be passing like a flu. Because flu doesn't pass through meat. But also other people should have gotten it then. So, mm-hmm. And they should have gotten it by now with how fast that those kids initially got it. Because they got it like the same day that they had it. Like hours mm-hmm. later. So other people should already be showing symptoms of getting that. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. The, the other thing uh, was one that uh, Mitch and I had talked about in text earlier. I had, I spent these two episodes so focused on who could have possibly been the artist for the images that we saw for the pages. Oh, they were pretty and I, I was like, it's it's going to be James Jean, but it's not as polished as James Be- James Jean's work. Uh, but Mitch, you uh, did you read Fables back in the day when it was coming out? I read the first story arc, the Who Killed Rose Red. Mm-hmm. Oh, it does look like that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because he d- he did the like James Jean was the artist for the uh, the covers initially, but the one who did this was uh, Joao uh, Ruaz was the uh. one who took over when James Jean left, and that was this. So it was like ah, okay. yeah. I'm getting like pretty good artwork. That I'd. Yeah, I'd much rather be reading this comic book that they're talking about than watching this show about this comic book. That's real. Like, I was like, can this comic book be real? Because it looks really cool. And oddly, it looks slightly less depressing than what I'm currently watching. (laughs) It looks like they have enough resourced or art for it that they probably could have a compendium of all of that stuff. Now, was it just me or in that little Comic-Con that they went to in the first episode? was almost all or maybe all of the background stuff made up like there was no actual real comic book or entertainment properties like they were all made up just for the show Mm -hmm. because i remember i saw one that they did a close-up on a comic book was called uh mr smash (laughs) and it looked like a like a mr incredible type character like red bodysuit and like a blue cape 
And all the other people that were dressed up as stuff, they were just saying random names like, oh, I am the, the Sun Star or something like that. And mm-hmm. the Antler was another comic book character. Yeah. Or Antler Man. I was hoping there would be some that would be a little more like clear cut references to things. But it's kind of like that video, the one that's um, supposed to be pe- what English sounds like to people who don't speak English. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's how I felt about the cosplays, where it's <laughs> like, these these aren't anything that I know, but these are what cosplays look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it. You'll have the weird dude that dresses up like the little girl character every in every mm-hmm. convention. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there was. I think it was called FringeCon because it was supposed to be all the comics and stuff that are on the fringe. Mm. Mm. This, this would definitely fit into one of those if it has yep. that kind of like fervent fan base with the conspiracy theories. And that's why it was all taking place in the lobby of a hotel instead of a big mega con center. Yeah, a small town civic center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, is anybody familiar? Just to kind of add a little dash, because I'm figuring this is one of the reasons why I'm here, is to to bring in the, some outside references. Or anybody the fact familiar? That you've been on all of the other episodes of this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just invited you to this particular one because we're like, ooh, it's about the conspiracy theory. Like, guys, I really appreciate you so making me a part of this one. <laughs> um. Anybody familiar with the Georgia Guidestones? What? I'll take that as a no. <laughs> so <laughs> sometime, sometime in the 1980s, I want to say it was like 1984 or maybe even 1980 itself, uh, some unknown philanthropist donated a bunch of money for some park in Georgia to have this kind of Stonehenge-looking monument erected. <laughs> And it basically is like Ten Commandments for a New World Order. I'm not even paraphrasing. I think that's what it says. And it's written in like 17 different languages or something like that. Like Mm -hmm. the rules for when society collapses and whoever is still alive after some huge catastrophe is, you know, going to, I guess, restart the world or government. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is what you should follow. And that's why it's called the Georgia Guidestones. Some theories suggest that it might have been Ted Turner that donated the money for this. Uh, It's never been proven, but I mean, this must have cost a lot of money because this is in a big chunk of land and this is a big, I don't know what it's carved in, marble or something or whatever it is. I guess. Granite maybe, yeah. And yeah, like one of the very first rules is keep humanity under like 500 million i want to say is the amount that it gives is which that, that, that's the plot of gurren lagan the anime well seeing as i think we're at seven billion that's really a problem <laughs> yes exactly which is why i thought that one of the points that they were making in the show about overpopulation is kind of interesting and about only like having this idea or ingrained in some of the characters that like if you're not pulling your weight and contributing somehow then you're dead weight and that he was being told to somebody's like somebody was telling this to their children and their adopted children. And I was like, huh, like what are the seats that they're laying here about, yeah. uh, you know, overpopulation and control of the people in some way. And only if you have something to offer, there's some really, really interesting heady themes, but because we're only into episode two of it right now, I'm just like spinning the wheels. Like, Oh man, like, this seems like it's going to have some interesting places it's going to go and some pretty dark places too, I'm sure. I mean, the fact that those two henchmen and 
Jessica Hyde, whoever she may be, have no problems killing people. I mean, just like go in, take care of people, feel no remorse whatsoever. I mean, to them, it's like they're definitely doing this because they believe in something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the little bit of humanity that one of them showed, I think it was the the character named uh, Arby, to Wilson's father, I think, his also conspiracy theory dad, when like the father's like, oh, I knew it. It's because I'm getting too close to the truth. And the guy was like, yeah, you are. You know, we got to take you out. Mm-hmm. And that gave the guy a sense of satisfaction in his death. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, no sense in him, you know, not dying happy, you know, might as well think that he was dying because his, you know, all these hours that he wasted or whatever. And they, no they pan up to, his... what was that? No harm in a happy death. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, how many people really can say that they'll get one? And the fact that they showed his conspiracy wall and the one that they seemed to focus on the most was the Denver airport, which I've been to that airport. That place is creepy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> is it a hub for international Illuminati type people? I have no idea. It just is really creepy. Uh, I don't know. I like this, that, that there's something so much larger and they touch up on it, kind of going back to your Sarah Connor, John Connor para, uh, like analogy earlier. Like Sarah Connor saw no problem in hurting people and killing people that were in her way because they mm-hmm. were inconsequential in lieu of what was coming, the coming yeah. storm, which is what they call it at the end of the first movie. And I feel like there's got to be something like that here. And I'm really intrigued as to what it could be. It's got to be more than just a disease. The disease is probably going to be something that triggers martial law. I'm pretty sure that's also really popular in conspiracy circles, the start of martial law. So that's going to start something here that's going to kick off a much larger event. And I'm just really, really looking forward to whatever this could be. Not in a realistic way, but just story-wise. Like, like what's happening here? Where is this going? I'm totally intrigued. Agreed. Also, I do want to say Wilson Wilson's dad. Uh, fantastic casting for an old Jason Manzoukas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looked very similar to Wilson Wilson as well. I was like yeah. impressed with that, with that little bit of casting. Well, there you go. That's the first two episodes of Utopia on Amazon. So we have six more episodes to go, three more weeks of this, and then we'll be on to the next thing. So uh, if you want to talk to me about the show, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia GEM. GEM stands for Geek Elite Media. Steven, where can people find you online? You can find me across the internet, but... The place I recommend most going is peppermintgentleman.com. That's my website. You can find my socials there if you really need them. And where can people find you, Jessica? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's JM Bailey Writes. And John? I am also on Twitter at Magic Bollocks. And Elizabeth? You can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media and our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. Please go and check out our website, geekleapmedia.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the network. Our Patreon page has plenty of bonus material that you can only get there if you're a patron. And whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, please rate and review us so you help spread the word of our network. Mm-hmm. But, but until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geekly Media Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.